Revelation chapter 20, verse 1, And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So if you've been tracking with me through this sermon series, what do I think a key is here? What do I think it is? A key. What do I think a chain is here? A chain. That's what I think it is. And so when it says he seized him with a chain and put him in the abyss, that's what I believe. I actually believe that happens. He binds him now for a thousand years. Verse 3, he threw him into the abyss, which remember is in the center of the earth. That's where the locusts came out during the tribulation. They came out from the abyss. So he locks him in the abyss, seals it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. So when we go up to the chart here, we see that there is a thousand-year reign while Satan is bound, and then after that, he is released. Sometimes people don't realize that. After the thousand-year reign, Satan is released, and there is another battle. Let's keep going. Verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. This is what the millennial reign or thousand-year reign is going to look like. Us as believers on thrones judging angels and people. Okay, those are the people who are left from the battle of Armageddon. The entire population of the world is not destroyed after Armageddon. Sometimes people think that. That's another thing that's incorrect. A large amount of the population has been destroyed, but there's still quite a few people left. We're going to rule and reign over those folks. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. These are what we call tribulation saints. Remember, the the majority of the church is raptured here, but during this time, you can still become a Christian, even though you don't have power or authority. Demons will be ruling the land. Satan will be manifesting visibly, probably calling himself an angel, and these are his angelic powers, but you can be saved during that time, but how many want to be saved now and get taken to heaven? Amen. Rule and reign with Christ that way. But the Bible says if you do get saved during that time, you will have a reward. And this is talking to them. They had not worshipped the beast, but they were beheaded. That's what it cost them during that time because they didn't worship the beast or its image or had not received its mark on their foreheads and hands. And and remember, this was written in 90 AD. It would have been silly to think a mark on the forehead or hand could prevent you from buying or selling. And they probably laughed at Christians. How many know they're not laughing at us anymore? How many know you can be prevented from buying or selling if they started putting computer chips on? you, and you don't want to take it, right? And I believe that is not going to be accidental. This is not what they give to the military or special forces. To receive this mark, you must renounce your religion and accept the one world religion. So be careful with trying to say people who are in the military who get marked or something that they're already serving the Antichrist, okay? If uh, for whatever reason you need to do that, if you're in the military because sometimes they don't want you to get lost, that's not the same thing as receiving the mark. Receiving the mark is a mark that's digital, yes, but it's also a alliance and allegiance to the one world government, okay? So uh, sometimes people try to think technology is going to sneak up on a Christian, and all of a sudden you've gotten marked, and now you can't get saved, and yet you're going to hell. They did that with credit cards in the 70s and 80s and so forth. No, this is not just going to be technology. This is not just going to be, hey, I need to get marked because I'm going to go underground and with the Navy SEALs to Afghanistan. they got to keep a tracker on me. No, it's... I'm getting a mark because I am worshiping the beast and I am accepting.
accepting his one world government. Now, some of you are like, I'm not getting a vaccine. I'm not getting a mark. I'm not going to get a chip. I don't even want credit cards on me anymore. As a matter of fact, what are you doing, cell phone? Get behind me, Satan, okay? And, and that's, that's okay. To, to you, be you, as according to your conscience. And my parents will tell you right here, did we not grow up around the Amish? Or I grew up and you raised me around the Amish. You can go, on, you can go off on the farms right now and just get away from all technology because it scares you and makes you think it's the mark of the beast. But this is a specific mark for you to become a part of his world government. And it will have 666 somewhere in it. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who take part in this first resurrection. So understand this. If you were, were a tribulation saint, you get resurrected. But if you were a tribulation sinner, you're still staying in hell. You're not coming out of hell until the great white throne judgment after a thousand year reign of Christ, okay? So just everybody track with me. Let's say during this seven years, you become a Christian. When Jesus Christ comes back at the second uh, coming here, you get resurrected as well with all of us who came down with him. Because remember, we were in heaven all of this time. We came down with him on horses during the, the battle of Armageddon. And so now the tribulation saints, he's including them, get to rule and reign with us. But if you were a sinner, everybody go, you were with El Diablo. If you were with El Diablo, the devil, you staying in hell for the thousand years until the great white throne judgment, and then you're going to get thrown into the lake of fire for all of eternity with the devil and his angels, okay? Now the Bible continues on. This is, uh, excuse me, the second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them for a thousand years. How many are ready to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years? Now, the beauty of this, everybody get this, the beauty of the thousand-year reign is for God's prayer through Jesus to be answered. God gave us a prayer, his heart's desire to be answered, which is his kingdom come will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So as we pray the prayer of Jesus, the Son of God, back to the Father, we're a part of that answer to rule and reign with him. And during this time, humanity will go on. People will live and die. There'll be things that people will try to do that are bad. We will judge them, the Bible says, with a rod of iron. Some people will start some stuff, and they'll have to lick the dust off our boots. The Bible also says that. There'll be people that will be in servitude to us. How many are ready for that? How many are going to be good masters to the sinners that you have as servants? Amen? Because we have the master Christ. And so you can also see why people in Christendom who have become called tried to take this and enforce it upon other nations and races, and how many know they went to hell because of that? We are not supposed to enslave people by a race, and we're not supposed to treat them any old kind of way, but the Bible does talk about that all of us, red, yellow, and black, and white, we're all going to be kings and priests ruling over the nations, and there will be some in servitude. So I don't know. Bill Gates better get his act together, or he's going to be out taking care of our farms. Are you listening? The Bible says that they'll be taking care of your land. They will be taking care of your fields. And if they act up, they get a rod of iron. And uh, there are some people, like I said, who have abused those verses, and they're scary to us now to think about. But there will be people who will have visible signs of punishment in the millennial reign for what they did upon this earth. And then there will be others, like the Bible says, that we will rule over, that will grab a hold of us and say, take us to Jerusalem, take us to Zion, seven will grab a hold of one of us and, and say, bring us to the mountain of the Lord. And we'll say, e 
knees up, man. We're going to take you to Jesus. We're going to show you how this works, okay? So you're going to be a king and a priest, ruling and reigning, but you will be in a glorified body. So think of Thor. And that's how we will be like. Think of like Black Panther. Think of any type of superhero that you just can't come at any which way because they have certain powers, gifting, strength. We will be like Christ in his resurrected body. You can eat. You can enjoy food. You can come in and out of buildings. You can know more than you can normally handle in the natural brain. And you won't be able to be killed. You'll be a king. You'll be a priest. You'll be ruling and reigning. How many are ready for that? thousand years. Now, the Bible says after that, and notice this, we just, we just get verse number six, you're going to rule and reign, and then verse seven is when the thousand years are over. How many know there's a lot of space here to fill in? A thousand years. Oh, okay, we're just supposed to go on with this. Follow the, follow the author, John, as he's being inspired. And so this is where I get, um, uh, you know, a little bit upset with some of my preacher friends that try to fill in this space with things they don't know and pretend like they know. Let's just be gracious and say we don't know exactly what it looks like, but we know we're going to be ruling and reigning because the Bible doesn't give us a lot of detail. But when the thousand years are over, this is where people get confused. They don't get it. It's not Armageddon. Some people think what this is is Armageddon. It is not Armageddon. When the thousand years are what? Over. When the thousand years are what? Over. Armageddon happened at the beginning of the thousand years. Now there's thousand years. Everybody get it? Now when the thousand years are what? Over. Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. So this old devil has not learned his lesson. He started a battle in heaven, and Michael kicked his butt and sent him down into the heavenly realms into the earth. He then started a battle with God at Armageddon and got himself locked up for a thousand years. Then he gets out of being locked up, and he gathers nations again for the third time. Now, why do I think this is? God is allowing Satan to be his tool for free will and choice. God will never make you do something you don't want, and God will use the devil to help you make that choice. So in heaven, he allowed the devil to tempt angels. How many of y'all want to go with them? Go right now and see what happens. A third of them left with the devil, and we see what happens to them. They became wicked, evil spirits. Then upon the earth, he gathers, gathers up all of his power with the Antichrist, and he says, okay, you all want to follow me? Let's fight against God. And then what happens? He loses again. And then now, during that thousand-year reign, imagine if you were a child born, you would know no Satan. You would know no temptation. And so God, to be fair and just to those built, uh, born in the millennial reign, gives them the same opportunity. Here's the devil. Do you want him? And the Bible actually says that he can gather up an army, and it says, in number, they are like the sand on the seashore. So three different times the devil deceived people to the point where they would take up arms or fight against God. Go back to the one with the angels. You already know you're an angel. There's no atheist angel up there. You know who God is, but what kind of deception do you get? Well, why do we all have to worship him? Why don't they worship us? Why are we always serving him? Why don't we have people serving us? You see how that worked? Same thing when he came to earth. Adam and Eve know they didn't have no mom and dad. Adam and Eve know that they didn't build that garden. They didn't wake up and go, look what I made. They understood they didn't make that. They were walking and talking with their creator. And still, when he gave them the choice, here's one thing you don't have, and that's the ability to be God. Do you want it? Come follow me. They took it. And now in the millennial reign, they have been seeing Christ rule and reign. 
They have been seeing us as superhuman creatures living upon the earth, able to stop weather like Elijah, able to walk on water like Jesus did. They see this as a normal thing. They see Christ ruling and reigning, and yet they still can be deceived. Well, why don't we have our own planet? Why can't we be like Avatar and Nauvoo and go live over here? Why do we have to live here? I don't know how it kicks off, but that's how it kicks off. Now notice this. They marched. We're going to go tell God something right here. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. Jesus probably just going to be sleeping. What's going on out there? Here's some marching, huh? Oh, they're coming, Jesus. They're coming for you. And the devil's there. And they surrounded God's camp, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Look at your neighbor and say, that's how God handles it. Amen. You know, when you look at the scriptures, you see that God doesn't mess with them very long. Jesus said, hey, y'all happy you can cast out demons? I saw Satan fall like lightning. That's how fast he came out of my father's presence. And the same thing at the Battle of Armageddon. With the sword of his mouth, he wipes out over 100 million people. Uh, You know, the blood is as high as a horse's head, goes for 100 miles. He puts his foot right on the devil, takes him and throws him into the abyss. And he goes, my kingdom has come. Take that, you know. And so... After this, we have to put it into our theology. we got to have a timeline, and I've been honest to our timeline. I hope that you've appreciated it, even though sometimes people differ. But it's after the thousand-year reign. After all of this, God still shows that people will make decisions against him, and he allows the devil one last time. Now, let's go to what happens after that fire falls down. After the fire falls down, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And anybody who follows the devil goes there. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 says that he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You didn't do these things that you were supposed to. Go to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. So this place was not prepared for humans. It was prepared for Satan and his fallen angels. But now he will be thrown there as well as those who have followed him. And everybody get this. Satan is not under torment now. Satan can come from the heavenly realms back down to earth. He can go into the abyss and to to hell, and he can come in and out of there without torment. As a matter of fact, there's some evidence that he can do some tormenting. But during this time now, for the first time since the beginning, uh, well, just uh, for the first time ever, rather, he is now being tormented. This was meant to torment him. And everybody get this. The lake of fire is not a party. The lake of fire is not where you get to go party with everybody you like because you didn't like church people because they were boring, okay? Well, I'd rather go to hell than go to church because I don't like church people. No, let me tell you what hell is. First of all, hell is isolation. When, when you are there, or I, I want to say you, but when people are there like, like the devil here, they will not be around anyone else. Number two, it's pitch blackness. You cannot see anything. While you're in pitch blackness, there's a fire that's consuming that person. That fire never ceases. Worms crawl in and out of your flesh that you have been given, that person has been given, that cannot be destroyed. It's like how we get a second life that cannot be destroyed. The one who goes to hell gets a flesh that cannot be destroyed. It's an eternal destruction. Is everybody tracking with me? You get eternal life, they get eternal destruction. So it's a place of isolation. It is a place of torment. It is a place, lastly, of mental anguish where the person who is there will remember what they could have did and did not do. So you do not want to go to hell. Everybody say, to hell with the devil. 
That's who should go to hell. Amen. Verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence. There was no place for him. So we're going to get now to the great white throne judgment. But when he starts this off, everything disappears of the known universe. Think about this if you've ever watched a show like uh, a movie like The Matrix where Neo goes into that, ne- uh, that other realm, everything disappears. He's just in like in a white backdrop. God now shows us that the heavens and the earth were his handiwork to begin with. He just hits reset at this moment and just goes right to his throne. That's all we will see of the entire known universe at that moment is his great white throne. And then we're going to get another earth and another group of, uh, another heavenly realm, okay? And I saw the dead, great small, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. Everybody say books and one book. Okay, see over here it says books were open and another singular book was open. So imagine here on the left side, books, just stacks and stacks of books. But on the right side, just one book that's called the book of life. How many want their names in the book of life? Trust me, that's why you want, you, you want to be born again, because that's how you get your name in the book of life. The other books are the deeds of every single person that has lived on the earth that has not been covered by the blood. They will then be judged by the things in those books, and here's how it's going to go for them. If there is one mistake anywhere in the book of their life, they're getting cast into hell. Do you want your life story to be brought up like that without the blood of Jesus? So we are going to be there for a while. A lot of times people say, only God can judge me, and that should scare what? The hell out of them because they don't want to go to hell, right? So this is what's going to happen on that day because if you got one thing wrong with you, you're going to hell. That's exactly what it says. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, recorded in the books. Everybody say books. See, the plural books of your life are going to be brought up there. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades, or hell, gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Verse 14, then death and hell, death death and Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book, somebody say book, thank you, the book of life, singular, was thrown into the lake of fire. So understand this. Anytime someone has died without Christ, they've gone to hell. And now they're waiting for their judgment. That final judgment comes at the great right throne judgment after the thousand-year reign of Christ. This is where everybody gets judged right here that has not known Christ. On that day, they will then have all of their life brought before us and the entire world and all that has ever lived to see that God is just in sending someone to hell. None of us on that day will be weeping for them. The Bible even says if a mother loses their child that day, that they will not weep. For the, uh, weep for the child of their womb because they will know that God is just and do what he's doing. Come on, somebody say God is good. Every day, we got to remember that God is good. Even though bad things are happening in the world, somebody say God is good. And on judgment day, we're going to see it. We're going to be like, oh, oh yeah, God told you not to do that. Oh, and in, in your conscience, he told you not to do You told me you didn't know that you weren't supposed to. Oh, God showed you that, didn't he? Oh, you had a dream. You told me God never reached out to you that time I was preaching to you. Oh, but God gave you a dream. We're going to go through every jot and tip of their life, and God will be true and every person a liar. Are you listening? Come on, God be true and every person a liar. I'm telling you, we'll see how good God has been. 
We'll see. Even as people ask, well, what about those in other parts of the world where the gospel has never been? We'll see them according to their conscience, whether or not they listen to the God in their heart. Well, I just felt it was right to worship a tree. No, you didn't. I was telling you the whole time not to worship that stupid tree. But I'm telling you, you'll see people from other nations. Maybe they hadn't gotten the gospel yet, but they feared God. They prayed to one God, God, the one God of heaven and earth, you, my creator. You know, make me the person you want me to be. We'll see them in heaven with us. The Bible says they'll be judged according to their conscience, and the rest will be judged according to their conscience in the scripture. That's why the Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. You church kids better know how to act because you're going to be judged by that. Are you listening to me? All my church kids in here, you're going to be judged by what you know and what you were supposed to do with what you know. Amen? Fear the Lord, people. Read the book of Revelation again from start to finish. Fear the Lord. So on that day is going to be the judgment of the sinner. So this is the way we can look at it. You die now without, a person dies now without Christ. They go, to, they go to hell. They wait for a court, and then they go into the lake of fire. You get arrested now. You go to the county. You wait for your court day. You go to penitentiary. Anybody know about that? Oh, it gets quiet in church. Okay, some of us uh, know about that. That was, your, that was for your friend. Give that illustration to your friend. Amen. Y'all don't know that illustration. But that's how we can think about it, is that it's temporary. Hell is temporary. Even some right now are being tormented by demons that come, fallen angels that come in and out of there. Like I said, Satan can come in and out of there. But what we see is that now all of that sent into the lake of fire, and that lake of fire is the second death. And that is going to be an eternal second death. Now let's go to Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now we see the new heaven and new earth. We are no longer in the system that we once were in. When we were ruling with Christ for a thousand years, everything was just the way it is now. The same atmosphere was here. The same sea was here. It's just we were ruling, reigning with Christ, putting things in order. I believe that's God making right what went wrong in the Garden of Eden. But now this is an upgrade. Somebody say 2.0. The first thing we notice about the new heaven and the new earth is there's no, no longer a sea. There's no need for that great body of water. How many know why? Where did that great body of water come from, people? It came from the flood. You see, most people only remember the 40 days and 40 nights of rain, but what does the Bible say happened? The, the waters came up from the depths and broke forth and came up out of the earth. So the waters were once in the earth, and we didn't have rain. We were given uh, a rather fresh springs and mist from the ground up. That's how we uh, were able to have the gardens and so forth. But during the time of the flood, because the earth was mostly land, during the time of the flood, the fountains of the deep broke and made what we now call canyons. How many see canyons around? How many know that earthquakes and canyons and ravines come from the great flood? That's evidence of what God did. So now we go back to what it was before the flood, but even better than what we've ever seen before in the Garden of Eden, because in the Garden of Eden, we see that they even have a sun and some other things that we're not going to have in the new heavens and new earth. But this is what's going to be different about the new heavens and new earth. No sea. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, this is where I got in a little bit of trouble last time, because I said, you can't take a hoe and make, it a, make her a housewife. Amen? Oh, it still gets quiet when I preach like this. How many remember the whore of Babylon? 
She's not the housewife of God. The bride of Christ is the housewife of God, and that's why you can't make a whole housewife. The, the, the whore of Babylon gets judged. Don't be a part of the whore of Babylon's one world system that says there's many ways to God. That's a whore. The, 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 the path that you want is the path you can take, or that, you know what, don't judge nobody. The whore of Babylon accepts everybody because she's a trick that works for money. She don't care about your soul. But the Bible says the bride of Christ is wholly prepared for her husband. Be a part of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. So there's, there's Babylon and there's Jerusalem. Which one do you want? Babylon or Jerusalem, which one do you want? We're learning. We're, we're learning. Come on. There's the whore of Babylon or there's the bride of Christ. Which one do you want? Come on, somebody. Amen. We want the bride of Christ. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God will be with them and be their God. Now it's back to where we always should have been. Notice these promises that come forth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Praise God. Are you looking forward to that day? There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And I got the references there. These are fulfilled prophecies. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, somebody say victorious, amen, will inherit all of this. I will be their God and they will be my children. Somebody say victorious. Amen. Go with me now to Revelation chapter 2. Remember we started the book with the churches, the seven churches. Everybody remember that? I heard this from a preacher after I preached it, and I'm glad that I can borrow this from him. There are seven things that God says to the church that they all have in common. Seven things that he says to them that he, they all have in common. Please, my brother, Revelation chapter 2. I want to take you through it now. Somebody say victorious. Starting with the church of Ephesus, that's the first church that he brings up. I want you to see if you uh, can get the pattern here. Verse 7, to the victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the, uh, the paradise of God. What does he say to them? To the victorious, I'm going to give that. Look at what that he said to the first church. Look at the second church, chapter 11. The one who is what? Victorious. Are you getting a pattern yet? Now look what he says. The victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Going on to the third church of Pargam, what does he say to the victorious? Somebody say victorious. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give them a white stone with a new name written on it that they will only know the one who receives it. Fourth church, Thyatira. When you see the word victorious, shout it out to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end. I'll give them authority over the nations. Do you see the pattern here? He says to each one of the churches to be victorious. Let's keep going. To the church of Sardis, he says to them, whoever is victorious will like them be dressed in what? White. And I will never blot out that person's name from the book of life, but will acknowledge him before my Father and the angels. Hallelujah. The sixth church, Philadelphia. Isn't this a great pattern that my brother found? Verse 12. The one is what? 
victorious I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven. Praise God. And the last church, even the church that he rebukes the most, what does he say? To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Somebody say victory belongs to the Lord. Amen. Isn't that amazing that we hear the promise to all Christians that our victorious will inherit all of this. You and I have to decide today whether or not we want to be victorious. Do we want to be the ones that are conquered or those that are more than conquerors? It is up to you. It is your decision because look at how it starts in verse 8 about those who go to hell uh, and then to the lake of fire. But the cowardly, that's the opposite of victorious, isn't it? King James says, but the fearful, the fearful. You know, the Bible says over 360 times, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. One for each day of the week because we are taught not to fear because if you give in to fear, you can't have faith and you will not please God. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. Now, is fear real? At times it is. There are fearful things that are happening around us, but we need to trust God above those false evidence as appearing real because God, God is more real than the thing that we're facing. Yes, it was real that, uh, that the Egyptians were coming after the Israelites, and they were faced with the Egyptians on one side and the Red Sea on another, but how many know God is more real than that fear? He is greater than what's coming against you. He is bigger than what big bullies he's coming against you. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So for the cowardly, like we said with the sinner, the cowardly won't be able to say, well, you know, I never had enough courage. I never had enough ability to overcome and to have faith. You'll meet people like that that want you to join them in their pity patty party. And every day, on, uh, every uh, story on judgment will prove that to be a lie. God will say, look, I tried to give you courage that day, but you didn't want it. You wanted to listen to Oprah instead of Peter, James, and John. Come on, somebody. You wanted to follow Bill Gates instead of Paul. You didn't want to follow my son, Jesus, and he's going to show him in every one of those instances. I was there giving you courage. I was there, but you were rejected because the cowardly go to the same hell as the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral. you got to remind some people there's still, there's still sexually immoral people going to hell. Straight, lesbian, transgender, it doesn't matter him, her, they, them. They're all going to hell if they don't get it right. Amen? And you will go to hell, sir, with your pornography habit. Get it out in Jesus' name. Amen? the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, and all liars. How many know some preachers going to be in trouble if they don't get right? How many know politicians going to be in trouble if they don't get right? Amen. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So this is what I say to people who want to try to convince me hell is metaphorical. I say, well, if hell is metaphorical, then what is heaven? Is heaven metaphorical? Is the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, is that metaphorical? Because it seems to be pretty real up here that the new heavens and earth is coming about. Well, then how is this now metaphorical? I take, I take the new heavens and earth in the same way that I take the second death being the lake of fire. So please, my friends, don't let people talk you out of this. Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had one of the seven bowls of wrath and the seven last plagues came to me and said, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Somebody say the wife. Amen. We are married to Jesus. That's why if we cheat on the devil, we're adulterers. The wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit. Somebody say, hi, Holy Ghost. 
You normally will see father and son doing most of the acting and having the main roles here. But every now and then, you'll see the Holy Spirit show up, father, son, and spirit. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. Its brilliance was that of a precious jewel like jasper, clear as crystal. Wouldn't this be beautiful to see? we got to just use our imagination now. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, 12 angels at its gates. And on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. So it's basically a square with three great gates on each side. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written the names of the 12 apostles. Look at this, people, how important God is to keeping his word. Every gate has a name of a tribe. That means you have to be engrafted into Israel to come in through those gates. You cannot, miss, you cannot abuse Israel and expect to get into those gates. You better pray for the peace of Israel. I'm not saying all that they do now is right because most of them aren't regenerated, but I'm saying you still need to pray for the peace of Israel. You need to pray for the prosperity of Jerusalem. You cannot be an anti-Semite. You cannot be a Hitler wannabe and go to heaven. This is for the Jewish people and all those who have been engrafted into him into them. Amen? Into him, the one great Jew who made a way for Jew and Gentile. And then we notice that the foundations are the name of the 12 apostles being honored for being those who trusted Christ and followed him. But we notice that Judas denied Christ and committed suicide. So who do we think is the 12th? I think it's Paul. That's the one that Christ chose. They chose Matthias at the beginning through casting lots, an Old Testament way of doing it. But I believe God in the book of Acts shows us it's Paul. That's up to you how you see it. But they will, they will be there and their names will be our foundation. Now we get the size of this city that we'll be living in. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found that it was 12 stadia in length, approximately 1,400 miles wide, and as wide as high as it is long. Now once again, my friends who go allegorical, what is allegorical of it being 1,400 miles wide? What, what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Where every mile represents this and represents that. See, when my friends go allegorical, I say bye-bye because now we can say whatever we want. Well, you know, it's like when they preach, oh, the five stones of David represent the five-fold ministry, and then the five stones represent the five gifts you're going to give each one of the five-fold ministry today. You're going to give back to the apostle. What the, you know, and they just start going on and on. And I'm like watching them like, what are you talking about? How about we just stay where it's at? How about we just take the five stones and just believe they're stones? How about, he picked up a stone and he hit the dude in the head with one of them. Why did he pick up five? It wasn't because he was afraid he was going to miss. It was because Goliath had some brothers and cousins around there. He was ready to keep swinging. And what do I think a city is? That actually, If the Bible takes the time to measure the city for me, what do you think I'm supposed to do? I'm supposed to look at the measurement and go, that's the size of the city. So it's going to be 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles high. Get a look at this in a few moments to scale. The angel measured the wall using human measurement. So it's there to help us. Why use human measurement if we're not supposed to take it literal, right? And it was 144 cubits thick. That's in our lingo about 200 feet. That's almost as thick as a football field, 1,400 miles high and wide. The wall was made of jasper. Now, once again, jasper means this, this, and that. No, I think jasper actually means jasper. Now, you can say jasper stands for something. I get it. But if he's taking the time to tell me that the wall was made out of stuff, was it not made out of the stuff? 
Because when he, come on, help me preach. In the Old Testament, when he said, make it out of stuff, the temple, was it made out of the stuff he talked about? Or did somebody come up with something and go, this is allegorically what you'll be needing? No, Moses would say, get that out of here, man. And you know, Solomon, when he actually built it, Solomon would say, get that out of here. Get me real stone. Get me real gold. I don't need metaphorical gold. I need real gold. I believe the wall's made out of jasper. And the city's of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundation of the city walls were decorated with every precious stone. Now it takes the time to list every one of the foundational stones. The first foundation, jasper. Second, sapphire. Third, agate. Fourth, emerald. Fifth, onyx. Sixth, ruby. Seventh, crystallite. Eighth, beryl. Ninth, topaz. Tenth, turquoise. Eleventh, jacknith. And the twelfth, amethyst. How many believe those are real stones and things that are going to be there? I believe it. The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each gate made of a single pearl. You ever heard pearly gates of heaven? That's not true. It's not in heaven. This is on earth. This is the new Jerusalem. Those are the pearly gates. You ever heard of streets of gold? That's not in heaven. That's on earth. He can have that stuff there, but that's not where he describes it. He's describing the new Jerusalem on earth. The great city of the, uh, the great street of the city was of what? Gold as pure as transparent glass. All right, so here's some illustrations that I got for us. Because sometimes people want to say, like, well, are you Christians going to live and have a mansion? Where are you going to get enough space for it? I'm going to have enough space in space. Do you guys get that? How many know 1,400 miles from the surface of the earth, you're in space? How many know there's, let me start slow, slow. How many know when you leave here, you enter an atmosphere, and then after this, you're in where? Space. Okay. Yes. You know, 120,000 floor, please. Boom. You know, I don't know how we're going to come in and out. I'm sure we won't need elevators. Can I get some water for me, please? Excuse me. But I believe in the new heavens and new earth, you'll be able to breathe up there. You'll be able to live up there. They say right now the population of the world, over 7 billion, can fit into Texas. A square the size of 1,400 uh, 1400 miles is bigger than Texas, okay? This is bigger than some continents right here. And this is where God's people are going to be. How many want to be in New Jerusalem? Thank you, sir. Amen. And then when you see it, you know, this is the best kind of picture I could get, the 12 foundational stones. It's going to be a beautiful city. God's people will live here and will dwell with Christ for eternity. Verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. That's the next difference, is in the millennial reign, there's a temple. Remember, in the millennial reign, we're going to the temple offering sacrifices, not for forgiveness, but as memorial unto the Lord. How many like good barbecues? We'll be going there doing the rites to show the people who are on earth the illustration of what God did for us. So sometimes people get confused when they go to the Old Testament and they see all of these promises of that millennial reign and there's a temple, there's sacrifice, they're like, what's going on here? Christ is already our once and for all sacrifice. We are the temple of God. How is this happening? But remember, from the time of the Antichrist, the Jews built the Ezekiel's temple. That is the temple that the Antichrist actually defiles. So there has to be a third temple for this to go off the way it's supposed to. But the Bible says he doesn't destroy it. He keeps it. So for that thousand-year reign, there's a literal temple there, and there are sacrifices happening, but they are not for the forgiveness of our sins. They are a memorial of what God did for us. Somebody say a play. 
It's like a play. We'll be watching it every day, the sacrifices, all the feast days, as reminding us of the history of God. The Jewish history is told in their festivals and what God did. How many know that? Passover tells us the story of God's deliverance, so forth and so on, and that will be there with us. But now, somebody say now. Thank you. In the new heavens and new earth, there, are no, there is no sea, and now there is no temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, notice this, how the lamb is always attached to God, the Father there. You could not do that with a mere creature. This shows us the divinity of Jesus, that he's always connected through that word and to the Father. I can't say, uh, you know, these kind of terms about any other creature other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God who is equal to his Father in nature. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its light. Does everybody see how the lamb is connected again to the light? That is powerful, and that's why there's no sun there. So what's another difference? There's no sun. There's no moon. Now, does that mean now there's no stars? We don't know. Does he recreate the universe uh, in in a way that's different? So as we look out into space, it's mostly dark. It's emptiness. Will the whole universe be inhabitable, where everything be brand new, where there is not one bit of darkness because there's no need even for a lamp, and that would be indoors of the city. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring, bring its splendor to it. Now, where do I believe these kings come from? Some people actually believe that now in the millennial reign that there is another humanity that comes, another humanity. We're not even talking about aliens now. We're talking about actual humanity. Some people believe there is the human race that existed throughout all of this time for the thousand years. And then God destroys all those who didn't know him and puts them into the lake of fire. But then here with the new heavens and earth, we rule over a new humanity as like angelic creatures, but instead of tempting them like Satan did for us, we lead them into godliness, and now Adam and Eve, who blew it the first time, now they have a race that never falls like us and never needs a cross. I don't see how they get all of that from that one phrase that the kings of the earth will be there, but I'll give you a better explanation of where I think the kings of the earth come from. Can I hear an amen? I think we are the kings, and I think we're ruling over each other, and not everybody in heaven gets to have the same right and authority. Hello. See, you all don't like that. You all just want to be kings over the Nauvoo like, uh, like in, what is that movie, uh, the Avatar. You know, you guys want to be ruling over alien creatures and all that. Because if you follow, if you follow the timeline, all of the earth has been judged at the great right throne. Remember, everyone was judged. There's no way around what we would call the, the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. They, they are done away with or they're like us now glorified. But then when we go to the kings of the earth, what do I think is going to happen here, that there will be kings of the earth? Well, let's look at it like this. Let's say we live here in New Jerusalem, but now we want to do all of these things that people have been talking about they're going to do in heaven, but they have no idea what's actually going on in heaven, okay? So people are like, oh, you know, so-and-so passed away. I bet you they're fishing in heaven. No, if they're in heaven, they're not fishing. You know what they're doing? They're worshiping the Lamb of God waiting for Armageddon to come. That's what they're doing. They're not up there in some pond in heaven, okay? And then some people are like, oh, when the new heavens and earth come, or excuse me, when the millennial rain comes, then we're going to do all this, those things. No, you're not. You're going to be keeping people in check. You're going, to be, you're going to be working a job. So when do I think this blissful, fantasful life happens? I think it happens in the the new heavens and new earth. And so now imagine you want to go outside of Jerusalem, the city, and enjoy the rest of the planet. 
there's going to be a king over the Disney World you want to go visit. So you want to go visit Disney World. Who's going to be over the Disney World? It's going to be a king there. So you're not just going to be over your own fantasyful world. Because sometimes we just think we just get into, we die, and then now we're just in our own ether, our own little environment, and we get just to do whatever we want. No, if you are a Christian and you are here in New Jerusalem, and you say, I've always wanted to fish, even though there's not a sea, we'll figure that out. But let's just say you want to go do that. When you show up, somebody's going to be ruling and reigning over there. Well, I want to go, I want to go do race cars. Someone's going to be over the race car stuff. You guys get my point there. So that's my way of saying that there will be a new Jerusalem city and there will be kings outside of that who are of the city ruling and reigning. Now, if that didn't capture your imagination enough and you want us ruling over people for all of eternity of another race like Adam and Eve, you can insert that there if you like. And if you want to argue about it with me, where do we have to go? Whose treat? Yours. And who does most of the talking? You. So if we're going to argue about this, you're going to take me to one of my favorite restaurants. I'll just eat. And you'll be like, oh, I think we rule and reign over people. I believe we go to other planets. We create other people. It's kind of like the Mormons, but not the Mormons. But yeah, we get to do that. And I was like, mm, okay, tell me what you think then. But that's what I think. Amen. The kings of the earth. Thank you, sir. That we can come in and out of because it says that on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. So you can come in and out of that city as much as you want. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So now you know my problem with their idea. Because now you can only come in and out if you have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. How can you get that as a new creature? You, only those of us have our name written in the book of life because we were purchased by the blood of the Lamb. If there's another humanity created, their names can't be in the Lamb's book of life. How many understand that? And it says no one deceitful will be there. So then now you're putting a lot of hope in humanity at this, uh, what we would call the second humanity, to be able to be created and not sin. And if we have learned anything through temptation, what have we learned? Every time they find a way to fall and make the mistake. And if some people go, well, the devil won't be there, that is true. But remember, the devil wasn't there when he became the devil. What first tempted the devil? Was his own temptation, his own choice. So will people, even in our utopia, new heavens and earth, not make their own choice to walk away from God at some point? I think they would. So I don't buy into we rule and reign over another race of humans. I simply believe it is those of us whose names who have been written in the Lamb's Book of Life coming in and out of the city, ruling and reigning over each other in territories. I'm going to be ready for the last chapter of the last book. Amen. Vinny, would you come, please? I hope you enjoyed this series. We're going to conclude now the book of Revelation. And if today you were a first-time visitor, thank you for coming. All the other chapters are on the website, so go get caught up if you'd like. But I hope you got something today out of this. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. Coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Can I help everybody out here with your Trinitarian theology? How many thrones are in the kingdom of God? One with the Father and Son sharing it and the Holy Spirit coming from it. Now we could say the thrones that we sit on and the elders sit on. But when we talk about God, to be specific, there's only one. It says that the river comes from the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
and of, and of, shows that the lamb shares in the throne of God. And didn't we just read that he says, I'll let you sit with me on my throne as my father has let me sit on his throne. So the reason why we get an inheritance is because as Jesus is with his father, we are with Jesus. That's where you get the biblical understanding of in him. In him, we are seated in heavenly places, blessed with every spiritual blessing. This angel shows him the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of that city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. How many remember the tree of life from the Garden of Eden? Amen. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So when we see this, remember Adam and Eve still ate, even though they had glorified bodies. Jesus still ate after his resurrection, glorified body. We will eat. And this gives me hope right here because sometimes people say, well, could we possibly sin and blow it once we're in heaven? If the devil could do it from that perspective, could we do it from this perspective? And I don't think we will. And here's the reason why. Remember, the devil did not know what it would look like on the other side of his rebellion. We now have come from the rebellion. So in other words, you'll never eat dung because you know what dung is. Even though you freely can eat dung, which comes in the toilets. Everybody get what I'm talking about, dung, manure. You can eat it, but you won't eat it. Only if you were insane, but you wouldn't be insane here. Your mind is perfect. So even though you would have a choice, you still would make the right choice for eternity because unlike Satan, you know where that wrong choice leads you. He didn't know that it would take him to the lake of fire and be that tormenting. You now at this stage have watched humanity fall over and over and angels fall over and over again and you see where they go. Now looking from that point of history, I believe you'll come to those leaves every day and go, man, I need to get along with you. I got to get along with you. I'm going to eat those leaves. I'm going to get along with you. I'm going to eat that fruit. How many are going to eat some fruit and leaves over there and get along with everybody? You get your mind healed, get your, 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 your emotions healed. Hallelujah. No longer will there be any curse. Verse 3, the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve them. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Remember, we've seen the face of Jesus, but we've only seen the face of the Father in visions. Daniel chapter 7 saw him in a vision. He's the only one. Moses asked to see his face. He couldn't see him, but we've seen Jesus' face, the son who met with Abraham on the plains of Mamre. Moses saw Jesus' face in the temple. Jacob wrestled with Jesus, but now you'll see the father and the sons face to face. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There'll be no more night, no need of lamp or light or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. They will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. Now imagine John getting this in 90 AD, about marks of the beast, worldwide wars, and all of these things that seemed so far from him, but he had to trust these words. How much more should we trust them now? Don't let people laugh at you, friends. These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must take place. Can I just put a pause here and show you again the 70 weeks of Daniel? One of the greatest prophecies of the Bible laid out to a date, to a year. 
Daniel was told in B.C. 457, in 49 years, you will rebuild the temple. God kept his word. He then told him in 430 years after those 400 and, uh, 434 years after those 49 years of rebuilding the temple, for a total of 483 years, the Messiah would be cut off and that temple would be destroyed. And then he told him that the last seven years there would be a treaty and a time of tribulation. So here's my thing. If we go back into what was called the 70 weeks of Daniel, 70 times 7 years equals 490 years. If we take Daniel's prophecies and we look at this and we go, look at what God did through the first 69 weeks or 69 sevens. Will he not keep his word in that last 70th seven? I know for some of you right there, I just put on a tin hat and I just took out yarn with a cork board. Go back and listen to when we explained the 70 weeks. The this week plus the that week is the this week. Jesus is Lord, everybody clap. No, they actually know what I'm talking about because we stuck on this for days and hours and felt like years. Am I not telling the truth? How long were we stuck on that chart to have it make sense for me just to fly by and y'all just clap like you know it now? Oh yeah, the 70 weeks of Daniel, I get it. But the visitor's like, okay, just praise the Lord. God's faithful. But seriously, go back to what he did and he promised to Daniel. It's a mathematical prophecy. It's not left to your guessing. That's why I say to atheists, I don't even need your faith right now. I just need your calculator. Do you know how to do math? Let's do math and add faith to this thing later because I'm going to show you by math our Messiah is the Messiah. Then you could put some faith on what he did on a cross. I get that. You're going to have to have faith at some point here to please God. But right now, let's just use math to show you it had to be him. So these are trustworthy things. They are true. The Lord God who inspires the prophets. And if you've been following along in Revelation, what has been fulfilled here? I mean, what, rather, what has been left unfulfilled? None of it. Ezekiel. I have Ezekiel being fulfilled all in those last chapters. Uh, Isaiah's prophecy is of all the grandiose things, the lion laying with the lamb and all. That, those prophets, every jot and tittle is getting fulfilled. He kept his word to every single one of them. He sent his angel to show his servants the things that must take place. Jesus talking. He says, look, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy written in the scroll. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard them and seen them, I fell down to worship at the foot of an angel, the feet of an angel. that He had been showing me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of the scroll. Worship God. See, even John wanted to honor the angel in a certain way. The angel said, you can't honor me like that. But how many know we worship the lamb like that? Don't let anybody take you to the book of Revelation and convince you Jesus is just an angel. Jesus is the son of God receiving worship, and angels don't get it. We sing songs to Jesus, the lamb of God around the throne of God. He sits on the throne of God. Ask God. Come on, somebody. Father, Son, Spirit, three persons sharing one nature. Worship God. Then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. Now, if this was written in 90 AD, almost 2,000 years ago, how much more so should we not be sealing this up because the time is near? Verse 11, this is God being sassy. Somebody say he's going to get sassy. God tells the angel to say this. Let the one who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let the vile person continue to be vile. Let the one who is doing right continue to do right. Let the holy person continue to do what's holy. Why does he get sassy like that? It's not because he doesn't care. Because remember, you go back to the churches. He does plead with them. He rebukes them. He corrects them. He wants them to change. But why is he saying now, just let them do what they want? This is to the person who says, I don't believe God will ever judge me, and I'm never going to your church. You're supposed to say back to him and go, go on with your vile self and see where that ends you up. 
See where you end up after being vile, then you vile thing, you nasty thing, you wrong thing. Look at where this will put you. At some point, God says, well, then just be vile then. Be wicked. Because God, have we not seen through the whole book of Revelation, is not begging anybody. It's up to you, just like it was up to Adam and Eve, just like it was up to the saints of old. It's up to you. Do what's right. Amen. Somebody say, do what's right. Amen. Jesus in closing, he says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, hold on. I thought God said in Isaiah 44, he was the first and the last. And I thought the Father just said in a few previous chapters, he was the first and the last. Well, how many firsts can you have? You see, the beauty of it is, is that there's only one God, but he's revealed in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is first and last. The Son is first and last. The Holy Spirit is first and last. There's not three first and last. There's one first and last who shares his nature with three persons. This is the beauty of the Trinity. Jesus takes on the same divine titles as his Father because he's creator like his Father. He is first like his Father. He is alpha like his Father. Amen. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So you get to go in and out. That's where I got that idea from. Outside, now talking about the lake of fire, outside of the new heavens and new earth are the dogs, those who practice magic arts. Remember, you can be a sheep or a dog. How many want to be a sheep? Amen. That's the illustration there. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you this testimony uh, to the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. How many know he's the root? He was there before David, but he's also the branch that came through the line of David when he came in the flesh. He's the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say what? There's the Holy Spirit again joined with the bride. We're saying, come, Jesus, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this scroll, if anyone, come on, somebody say, if anyone, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. How many know there's enough plagues already? You don't need none added. And if anyone takes away the words from the prophecy of this scroll, that will be taken from that person, any share in the tree of life from which this scroll described. So let me just pause here as we get ready to close. That's why, just between you and I, we can have different understandings of this. Okay, I believe, as I have showed you, a timeline that works. Maybe you think you have one as well. But I want to ask you this. Do you take the words of this scroll seriously? Because if you get into this allegorical nonsense, you're not taking the devil serious. Oh, that's just bad things upon earth. And judgment is really us just figuring it out so we can bring heaven to earth, which is a utopian society of human, human humanity, you know. My friends, don't buy into that nonsense. There's a real heaven. There's a real hell. There's real judgment. There's real destruction. There's real blood. There's real flesh that birds will gorge themselves on after the battle of Armageddon, okay. These plagues are real. They're just not typified in the sense of human suffering because God wants human flourishing and all religions can bring that. No, these are real plagues that are coming down upon the earth. If you're going to come up with a, a systematic belief, make sure you honor the scriptures, amen? And I hope that you've seen that I've done that because if you try to take what you like uh, and leave, uh, you know, uh, take out what you don't like and only leave what you like, you're dishonoring this book and the Bible comes with a curse if you dishonor this book. 
Don't dishonor him. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And all God's people said what? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Jesus be with God's people. And everybody said amen. Let's bless the Lord and stand up together today. Thank you, saints. Hallelujah. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. We thank you that you've given us the courage to face what's ahead. Altar workers, would you come please with the band as we're praying. Father, we thank you. You've given us the the end of the story and we win with your son. We pray now that everyone will be prepared to meet you. If you're here today and you're not prepared to meet Jesus, would you ask him to be the Lord of your life today so your name can be written in the book of life? Pray something like this, Father, I believe in Jesus. I know he died on the cross for my sins and is coming back for me. My resurrected Lord is going to rule and reign. Come on, talk to Jesus or the Father that way and you will be saved. The rest of us who are already saved, would you prepare your heart for this day? Yes, we believe there's a rapture first, but we have to warn people about the judgment to come, don't we? Because not all of them are going to be raptured. And we got to be faithful to be witnesses to them. But how many want to see the world saved or at least a revival come and do a great work before we go? So let's pray that many will listen to us. Pray for your friends, your neighbors right now. Since it's Father's Day, pray for fathers. The number one need in the family today is a father. The number one reason why our culture is falling apart is because of fatherlessness. The number one reason why churches are empty is because fathers aren't setting the example. We need fathers to be men and women, uh, to be men of God, to raise up women and families of God. Start with us. If you're not a father today, just pray for fathers. If you see the need in your school or your job or your community, pray for those needs today. God, may your kingdom come on earth. And may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A few moments, pray right now. Those who are accepting Christ, ask Christ into your heart. Those maybe who have come to Jesus, but now you have some sin, some junk in the trunk, ask Jesus to forgive you. Pure, be pure today. He'll purify you just like he's purified me. And then he'll use you. Let's not seal up this prophecy. A few more moments of prayer, and then we'll end with worship. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come, God, to Chicago. Come to our schools. Come to our businesses. Come to our politicians. Oh, Lord, come to the churches. Revive us. Do a work in us. We pray, Lord, that you'll save, heal, restore before these days come upon us. We know time is short. Help us not to get discouraged. Anybody feel discouraged right now? Let me pray for you, Lord. Anyone doing the work that you've put before them, if they're weak today, they're discouraged, they're feeling like they're getting tired, Lord, pour out your spirit. If that's you right now, just raise up your hands and say, Lord, give me a baptism of the Holy Spirit that never runs dry. Fill me overflowing right now in the name of Jesus. Power from on high, come upon any weary saint, any weary soldier. In just a few moments, we'll let you come and receive some prayer. Don't leave out the same way, but just on your own. Say, Lord, do it, Jesus. Fill me. Power, power from on high for everyone who asks. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against the powers and principalities of wickedness in high places. We rebuke you, Satan, over this city. We rebuke you, Satan, over the lives of those we love and care about. Loose them and let them go in the name of Jesus. 
We do warfare with you, devil. We have authority over you now. You don't get the kingdoms of the world yet with your servant, the Antichrist. We have authority over you in Jesus' name. We command you to be exposed in every sphere of influence. Be exposed in media. Be exposed in government. Show your wicked self right now that Jesus Christ may show himself glorious. I pray that this generation will see the hideousness of the enemy and see the gloriousness of Christ and come to him. Satan, we rebuke you and command you to come out from your hiding place so we can expose you in Jesus' name. The Bible says expose the wickedness of our time. Expose it, bring it to light so that people won't make excuses. They'll, they'll, they'll see the choice they're making. Be the light of the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, thank you again for this great day and all the prayers that have been prayed, the sermons that have come forth, the messages to your people. Bless them now. Bless all the fathers as we go from this place and bring us back again, empowered to serve you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Bless the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. God bless you. You are dismissed. Thank you for.